pick up a shoe and twist it and like does it move under the force of your hands can you bend it and move it because that would mean that that shoe allows movement into the body and if that shoe doesn't twist or bend then that shoe is going to be the stopping point for movement moving the foot bones and the ankle bones and you know moving up through the chain of the body and, you, and it's sensory information right imagine putting earmuffs on your child from the time that the you know they're exposed to their first sound and then leaving them on there for decades they're it's just not as clear of an image to what's going on and you've got nerves that are coming through the feet that are responding to temperature and shape and touch and you know all those sensations and we want to make sure that th those nerves are getting their input as well i think of everything as input you know like where are you allowing movement in and where are you blocking it out Check. I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Bliss Young. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, and this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I'm Nathan Riley, MD. I'm an OBGYN. I'm the Holistic OBGYN, and this is my podcast. If it's the first time that you're tuning in, I have a lot of really, really lovely conversations with people in medicine and chiropractics, um, people who are movement specialists, people who are um, lifestyle and nutrition specialists, uh, people who are into farming, people who are into um, detoxifying our environment in the home and in our garden. I think that there is uh, far too much siloing off of information nowadays, such that doctors seem to know a lot about doctoring, but they don't realize the greater ecology of our environment and how that impacts not only our, our health, but also our pregnancies, our parenting experiences. And when we dial in whatever modifiable lifestyle factors there are, we as humans, as individuals can show up as better men, as better women, as better fathers, um, as better children, as better brothers and sisters and better community members. So welcome to the podcast. If you don't know, we're on YouTube as well. Go there and subscribe. It's an easy way to support the show. Um, likewise, if you find anything in this episode valuable, please support the sponsors, share the episodes with your friends, and go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review. Um, it really, really helps way more than you think. I've got another very, very special guest today. It's Katie Bowman. She's very well-known in my community. In fact, I've been following her work for, gosh, 10, 20 years now. Um, she's written eight books now, and she has a new book called Grow Wild, The Whole Child, Whole Family, Nature Rich Guide to Moving More. You probably know her work from, um, maybe you glean some insights from her work around diastasis recti, um, abdominis. That's when the muscles of the abdominal wall remain separated well into the postpartum period, which can lead to dysfunction, but also aesthetically, it's not all that appealing for many women. Um, we talk a little bit about that on this show, but we also, um, she's also the author of Move Your DNA and a variety of other books that have preceded Grow Wild, which is her newest, greatest accomplishment. This book, guys, is the ultimate coffee table book. The photos are beautiful. The pages are thick. The print is big. 
It is so well done, just like everything Kitty touches. You can find her work at Nutrition Move, uh, Nutritious Movement. Um, that's both her blog, meaning her website, as well as her accounts on social media. Kitty and I get into optimizing, uh, or let's say, let's say putting into practice um, a culture of movement within the family, within school, within work. Um, some important questions to ask, for example, would be is that outfit on my daughter good for climbing trees? Because my daughter loves climbing trees. If I put her into a tight kind of bound up um, romper or a dress or something that doesn't allow her to move and fully express herself through movement in her everyday life, then it's going to be prohibitive to her development as a youth and into adolescence. And the way that we raise kids is the way that they show up as adults. So I know that when I was little, I was running around in the woods, throwing things, climbing things, you know, getting cuts and scrapes here and there, but it was it was the full complement of movement. And now when I play pickleball or any other sport for that matter, I still have that agility. My body has was programmed from a very early age to lift, to turn, to move, to jump, to swim, to play. And that's what Katie's uh, most recent book is all about. So we go very, very deep into this. The one area that we don't, didn't have time to dive really deeply into is nutrition and diet, but you can read her book. You can get some additional insights there. And one additional factor I think that really comes through in this interview is you don't have to compartmentalize exercise over here and food over here and sleep over here or playing with your kids and parenting in a totally separate compartment. You don't have to schedule this in. If you can stack all of these activities into one sort of broad activity that hits everything, um, something like foraging for food or, or rock stacking, something I picked up from a friend of mine, Paul Check. When I first visited him, he said, hey, let's go stack some rocks. And I was like, stack some rocks? I already worked out today. But we went out to his little rock garden. It's a big rock garden. And we're moving 200 to 300 pound stones around this sand pit and then putting them on top of one another and then finding a slightly smaller stone to put on top of that, kind of like building a snowman. But while we're doing it, we're also connecting with one another. We're getting vitamin D. You know, we're, 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 we're getting all this natural sunlight. Our feet are, are naked and bare on the ground. And of course, you have to be careful careful when you're lifting rocks, but that's also a part of the practice. You're doing it very, very intentionally, moving these big stones. Um, and of course, you're getting quite a bit of, of exercise from this as well. And the same goes when you're with your kids. Is there a way that you can get exercise through engaging with your kids, playing with your kids? Does not have to be a $200 per month, three times per day, an hour at a time, getting to the specific heart rate. Like, Forget that. That is for some people. And if that's for you, go for it. But if you find that you don't have time and you find that you're struggling to schedule in these types of things, how can you um, develop a, a movement culture within your family? Katie talks about how to optimize the school environment, playground environment, or even your own living room in order to facilitate the need, the real compulsion that kids have to move and to sit and to squat and to do all of these things. So. Um, after this interview, you're probably going to lose the couches. You're probably going to want to be outside more, and that's the point. So find Katie's work at Nutritious Movement. And of course, please go get a copy of her book. We'll put everything in the show notes for how you can engage with Katie. Grow Wild, the Whole Child, Whole Family, Nature Rich Guide to Moving More. This podcast is an effort to provide public facing, forward facing education for those of you who listen to podcasts. And so this listening to this is completely free of charge, or you can go watch the episode on YouTube. 
Um, the Holistic OBGYN is where you'll find us on YouTube. But we also do have a couple sponsors every time that we do this these these interviews because their sponsorship dollars help keep the lights on, help pay for my production staff, etc. So the first of those companies is BirthFit. We talk quite a bit about movement and diastasis recti and the lying in period in the immediate postpartum period. And BirthFit, they are specialists in movement before, during, and after pregnancy. I drink my coffee every day in the mug that they um, <laughs> sent me um, as I've developed a really beautiful relationship with the owner and founder, Lindsay Cantu, who's also a chiropractor. So the, the reason I think it's important to consider finding a birth fit professional is because not everybody out there is an expert or even a specialist in uh, lifestyle and exercise programming during the various trimesters of pregnancy. The... Um, immediate postpartum period. You know, it's no badge of honor to be able to go back to doing CrossFit days after you have a baby. There is a reason that you should be deliberate and intentional with how you start to move again. Movement, of course, is very critical for the recovery, but just going right back into those exercises you were doing before pregnancy or even during pregnancy is not necessarily the best way to go about it. Um, you need to sort of relearn how to um, how to move and posture yourself now that your center of gravity has changed, now that you've, you've given birth to that little bowling ball you've been carrying around in your midsection for all those months. Um, you need to retrain the muscles of your abdomen, which are not under tremendous tension with this, this immovable object inside the uterus um, for those nine and a half months. You need to retrain your hips and pelvis. Your pelvis has opened up and now it's closing back again. So find a birth fit professional that can help you um, re-engage with exercise and just basic movement and breathing patterns. They'll, they'll teach you about your pelvic floor. They'll teach you about your abdominal muscles and what the, the core muscles really are, which is more than just your six pack. Um, everything at BirthFit is tried and true. I've taken their courses. I'm even a BirthFit certified um, coach now, um, BirthFit leader, they call it because I've taken their coaching program. It's just um, everything that they put out, I just gobble up. And I've met so many incredible people, including upcoming guests, Dr. Monique Andrews and Tamara McIntyre, both chiropractors. They both speak about polyvagal theory. That's all included whenever you join BirthFit. And if you want to fully engage with BirthFit, you can either go and use code beloved at birthfit.com and get a discount on their postpartum basics program. Um, or you could go to their B community where you're going to meet a whole bunch of other people that have similar questions that are engaging with this content in a similar way. They understand the importance of looking at movement through the lens of the nervous system, the recovery and the rest periods. All of that is relevant if you have any glimmer in your eye of having children in the future. Birthfit.com is where you can use that code. Um, get yourself a free month in the B community or 20% off their postpartum basics course. This is a very, very unique offering in the world. And I'm so grateful to have their support in continuing to run my program here at the Holistic OBGYN. This podcast is also um, made possible by We Natal. There's a lot of prenatal vitamin companies out there. There's tons. Go to your grocery store and look at the prenatal aisle. But most of them are junk. Most of them have added um, food dyes or artificial ingredients, processed sugar. They're made into gummy bears and whatnot. And while they're delicious, they're not necessarily going to get you that insurance policy that you're hoping for from a prenatal vitamin. So there are a couple of good brands out there. My current favorites, and I think <laughs> I think the only prenatal I'll ever probably need to recommend to people is Wee Natal. You're going to get adequate amounts of choline, vitamin D, folate, not folic acid, but folate, um, your B vitamins. Everything is going to be included in there. And it's only three capsules per day versus 10, which is a huge 
boon to so many of my clients who have issues like many women do with nausea and food aversions and just not really kind of an ickiness around food and taking in um, 10 capsules at a time early in their pregnancy. The other thing I really like about Wee Natal is they send you a journal because they care just as much as I do about the mental and emotional well-being um, throughout your pregnancy and childbirth journey. So they include this beautiful journal as well. And their packaging is as eco-friendly as anything. When you subscribe, again, you can go to weenatal.com slash beloved. Subscribe to get your monthly supply of, of just stellar multivitamins, both for her and for him. Um, go there, any purchase of a prenatal vitamin, even if you don't get the his and her package, you're, they're going to include a whole 30-day supply of their omega DHA+, plus, getting adequate omega-3s to balance out all of those omega-6 fatty acids that you're getting from vegetable oils and seed oils that are found in virtually every food you can think of now um, is really, really critical, especially if you're pregnant and you want to have a healthy um, as, as natural as possible childbirth as you possibly can. Your baby's nervous system is developing on a daily basis and providing adequate omega-3s and a variety of other micronutrients that are hard nowadays with our nutrient deplete agricultural system is critical. So on top of a healthy lifestyle, find yourself a good prenatal. We natal is the tops. Go to weenatal.com slash beloved, add any prenatal product to your cart, and then add the Omega DHA plus, and you'll see that it's magically free for you. And when you subscribe, of course, they're going to send you out these glass jars. They also have travel sizes of the jars that you'll get your prenatal journal, and you're going to receive sleeves of refill uh, of, of refills of the capsules for, for, for his and her um, on a monthly basis. You just pop those into here. They use all recycled plastics. They're really, 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 really conscious of all of that. So thank you, Weenatal, for supporting the show. I have absolutely zero qualms about supporting the best prenatal on the market. So, um, so thank you, guys. Support the sponsors. It lets them know that you're listening. It really helps us keep the lights on having sponsors. And um, I'm trying to pare down the sponsors just a little bit and really focus on those brands that are very, very, um, that are so much in alignment with my brand that it's kind of hard to say no whenever uh, they ask if I can get the word out. So support them. And then, of course, go to YouTube, subscribe to the channel there. Leave a podcast review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. Get the word out there by spreading these episodes with your friends. And support our guests, Katie Bowman, nutritiousmovement.com. Her new book, Grow Wild, The Whole Child, Whole Family, Nature Rich Guide to Moving More is a beautiful book, a great gift for any family out there that you know could need a little bit of extra support and maybe some unique ideas as to how to enrich the culture of their family um, with the sort of centering or focus around um, adequate, diverse movement. So enjoy my conversation now with Katie Bowman. <music> morning thanks for having me on your your show i uh i am really a big fan i i'm kind of one of those fanboys that has just been sort of watching you evolve your mm. kind of stuff over many years when i was in medical school i heard your name first at the paleo effects conference i used to be um, a volunteer that helped organize these events did you speak at paleo effects or did you have your book for sale there i don't know where i heard ab I did about speak. yeah i i spoke um 
one, one said ancestral health and one said paleo FX in, in Texas. Was that in, in Texas? Texas? Yeah. Ancestral yeah. health. I helped with that one as well. So mm -hmm. I just remember hearing your name peripherally and I was not even an OBGYN at the time. And then, um, so that makes a lot of sense. And I, I remember I was talking to Rob Wolf and he was recommending your book. And I just had this like flood of really great possibilities for myself as a doctor. And then I found when I was in OBGYN, I didn't have nearly enough time to really counsel people on the importance of getting outside and, and you know, diversifying diet and moving well. And sure enough, so many women end up with an epidural and an extreme dorsal lithotomy. They end up with back pain. They end up with hip pain. And then, of course, it doesn't get any better when you've got kids unless you make it a priority to, to be out and moving in a variety of ways. So I think most people are probably... Um, at least in my circles, I think most people are very, very familiar with your work through um, your insights into um, preventing and healing from diastasis recti. But you've got a new book, Grow Wild, The Whole Child, Whole Family, Nature-Rich Guide to Moving More. And that's what we're going to focus on today. And <laughs> you were just telling me that this is a labor of love, that a, a book this beautiful doesn't, doesn't make you rich. But no. I feel like this is kind of one of those coffee table books that everybody should have because there's so much in here. So we'll get deep. Um, get deep into this. I, I did want to ask you real quickly about a story you just told me when you had uh, one of your babies, you ended up with a very unusual injury and um, much, very much in alignment with your work here in Grow Wild and your, uh, your sort of advocacy through the movement movement. Your husband was up and out with that baby strapped his to his chest getting breakfast while you were having some emergency surgery are you able to share anything about that story or should we just move move on <laughs> no um well I, I actually in the introduction of diastasis recti i alluded to it a little bit where i was talking about um, that i unexpectedly had become bedridden right after giving birth and you know after you give birth the way i think about it is you know i'm a biomechanist so i'm always thinking about containers and loads. And so like you've got this abdominal container that's been full. Imagine how stiff my torso has been. Oh yeah. Because I have um, this internal stabilizing piece there and then it's gone, you know, it's gone out. I won't say an instant, that would be, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a labor <laughs> a to get it out, but, but yeah. you know, you're, you're, it's quickly gone and then you're missing, you're missing all the tension that your abdominals would be giving you otherwise. And you're missing the thing inside that was offering some sort of stability. So that's one of the reasons. Uh, so often we want to recommend people start moving again, thoughtfully, not, not, not slowly, but thoughtfully in a stepwise progression. Yeah. Deliberately, deliberately, mm -hmm. uh, mindfully, you know, all these words. Um, but then I had, because I had this sort of weirdo experience after I had given birth where I needed to have surgery right after it further. And it was just a, it was a torn artery that was related more to, um, well, who knows? It, it's just a, a very random occurrence. Pretty, that pretty random. Yeah. <laughs> never seen it happen before, but it was a tight piece of fascia inside my my uh, piriformis muscle that, that area was able to just with all the pressures that are created with delivery, someone pushing down on me really hard, yeah. me bearing down that that perfect storm was able to rupture my artery. The pudendal um, artery. That, the that's pudendal a artery. very unusual. Yeah. Oh, the surgeon had never seen it, you know, and, and no one had ever seen anything like that before. And when I became pregnant, not that long after, 
I was obviously after surgery, I had been on you know, vaginal rest for a significant amount of time, six, seven months, but I got pregnant um, very close. My children are 16, 17 months apart. Wow. I was concerned and I had called that surgeon and I was like, can I have, you know, I had um, my kids at home. So I wanted to be mindful about that too. It's like, is this something you would recommend something that needs extra care? And he said, he's like, that would never happen again. I've never seen that before. <laughs> it was just a, like a rando thing. Like you're fine. Just, just be relaxed about it, which I really appreciated. Um, but anyway, so I, in the beginning of diastasis recti, I wrote, you know, not only had I transitioned from having a structure and then not a structure, I was then on in a bed recovering because I had to not only have the surgery, I had to have a blood transfusion as well. So it was multiple days, catheterized, um, not moving wow. at all, you know, not on my legs at all for like four days. And so when I finally stood up for the first time, I felt like I had sea legs, you know, like I had, is that the right word? It's like sea legs after you've come back from land, you know, like yeah. you're, it's, mm -hmm. everything was wobbly. You kind of feel had, wobbly and you, you like don't have, uh, it doesn't feel like the ground is, is, is firmly secure, no, like, no. like sound. Yeah. Yeah. I had no, I had very little strength, but what I did have was extensive education to know how to stepwise, um, to look at my progression in a stepwise way and that the, in, that the fact that I couldn't stand comfortably didn't really mean that I shouldn't. It just meant that I needed to be um, monitoring myself, you know, and I knew how to do that. So I just immediately on the, the day that I got home, I took my first walk with my newborn, carrying the newborn. And I, I mean, it was the slowest walk I've ever taken but I knew how to align myself to start retraining those body parts, how to regain the function that they, they had. And, and I imagine that, I mean, anyone who's been through that process, yeah. I mean, even if you have a, a birth without any complications at all, you're still going from stable to not stable. And then if you had something like a C-section, again, where you have an additional surgery on top of it, you know, you're, you do not have that recruitment and that pattern of strength that you can depend on as soon as you stand up. So I put that in the forward to say, I, what I had that was different was the education to put together my own program. So that I didn't have to wait four weeks to get into an appointment and then see someone who knew how to supervise me once or twice a week for only 20 minutes. I could essentially do all of it myself a hundred percent of the time which led for uh, like led to a very quick recovery. I felt comfortable with myself and I wanted other, I mean, essentially that's what I'm trying to do all the time. I want people to be more comfortable knowing how to progress themselves from where they are right now to where they want to be strength wise yeah. in a mindful, thoughtful way. That's aware of injuries, potential risks, but also to have like be empowered to be like, you really can do a lot of this yourself. You just need to learn how to see yourself objectively and you need to have some nuts and bolts of understanding of you know, form and exercise science, however you want to think about it, biomechanics, the alignment and the way different parts work together. So that's yeah, that that was my that was that's really why diastasis recti was important to me. Not really only because of this thing that I know people have, this um this uh, strength gap or weakness in their abdominals that comes after, but 
no matter what happens, the idea of like becoming more physically stable and sturdy and able to do the activities that you like um, really before, you know, if you could do some of these things before, while you're pregnant, before you get pregnant, as well as after you're just a real strong container going into that, yeah, going into that yeah. situation. Yeah. Yeah. For those who aren't familiar with that book, the full title is Diastasis Recti, The Whole Body Solution to Abdominal Weakness and Separation. That was my introduction to what a biomechanist has to add to this conversation, mm -hmm. because we as OBGYNs, we are anatomists to some degree. We know what we know, but I don't know if too many of us are really super thoughtful around the course of the pudendal artery and the piriformis and the and the the sort of relationship between all of the musculoskeletal structures, which is why it is really I feel very grateful that you've put out so many books over the years. And movement, of course, is kind of the hallmark of everything you and your family do. So I wonder, you know, had you not done all of that work before during and between pregnancies, what would that recovery have looked like? It probably would have still been challenging, but perhaps if you compared your recovery after something, you know, very tremendously hard, I, I, I presume, I mean, that's a pretty serious injury when a big giant hematoma starts forming in the pelvis. So um, the recovery thereafter actually is benefited in some ways by the preparation of the body. There was a lot of, I don't know if the word reserve makes sense, but your tissues already kind of were attuned to one another. You know, you weren't starting an exercise program or walking or whatever day one after birth, you were actually drawing from a lifetime of experience uh, with movement, you know, as a, a sort of the, the culture of movement in your family. So I just want to give a little hat tip to that, that I'm sure that, that while there isn't a prescribed protocolized way to recover from such a, a specific surgery, movement is really medicine. I mean, it's so cliche, but it really is helpful to have that experience um, within the integument, within the, the musculoskeletal structures in order to recover from anything, whether it's a C-section, diastasis recti, or a tremendously unusual injury like a pudendal artery transection. <laughs> yeah, well, and I try to talk about movement in this way where a lot of people will be coming to my work after something is manifested, right. after, after they're already dealing with um, the consequence, the symptom, however you want to frame it. Yeah. Um, and what I try to say is, you know, for all of us, for all of us, the injury is coming. Right. The pain is right. coming. Like these are yeah. inevitable parts of being a human being, a living thing, more than a human being, a living yeah. thing is going to be facing with of what comes up in, in the, um, ecology, right? The, the fact that we're brushing up against plants and animals and viruses and bacteria, like all these things mean that something is always coming. So it's the idea of resiliency as being how, how, how sturdy you are going into something. Yeah. So yeah. if you know something's coming, everything you're doing is sort of preventive in that way, but it's not preventive in the sense of it's not going to happen. It's preventive in the sense of when it does happen, you're able to negotiate it better and faster. Yeah. I think the term hormesis comes to mind where you're providing little bits of stress throughout your entire life, not so much that it overwhelms your ability to recover mm -hmm. from, let's say, I don't know, a specific exercise program, but those little stressors the whole way actually fine tune your apparatus for coping and managing that stress 
especially when it comes to acute injury recovery or acute infection or, you know, what have you, life's going to throw those things at you. Is your body able to bounce back or is your body going to break from that acute thing that is going to happen that is oftentimes completely unforeseen in the future? Yeah. And for anyone listening who says, well, it's already happened to me. It's happened to me right now. It's still fine because the thing that you do for prevent, for preventive medicine is often the same thing that you do to repair it on the other side. So it's just about when you're ready to get started, you know, the ship leaves a thousand times a day. Yeah, absolutely. It's never set sail. Absolutely. Well, I definitely want to focus on uh, Grow Wild, but I do have one one question that I has been kind of a bugaboo for me for since I started doing surgeries and I've done so many C-sections from residency. I haven't done one for a couple of years now because I don't I do home birth now, but the um, when you go into the abdomen, we separate the 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 layers of the musculature of the abdominal wall and then we're um, looking at the uterus. But before we do that, oftentimes, more often than not, there was always some separation of those muscles. So in other words, there was a physiologic diastasis um, uh, recti that we were that we're able to, like we were able to look at it. There's this separation. And for most women, it comes back together. So what is your take on the pathologizing of a diastasis recti? And how do you actually, like, like how do you further redefine that for people who are afraid of this happening? Because there are women who do end up with this massive set divide within the rectus abdominis muscles. Right. And many women, physiologically, that happens, and then it comes back together. So, so what gives there? Well, it's very challenging to know exactly what, because we can't have a camera on it on people right. throughout, right? You're only looking at it in these moments in time when some surgical invention, intervention is needed. So it's very difficult to say, but the way that I understand it is, is there is, and this is in sp- specifically in pregnancy. Yeah. You are going to have, I mean, and separation, it's, what separation is, isn't even clear. I know I'm, I'm just going to keep starting sentences and not finishing them. Um, <laughs> and I try, and I try to put it in diastasis recti. It's like, it's not clear if it's a thinning, you know, so you've got, you've got the right rectus abdominis and the left rectus abdominis, right? So you've got these long muscles that are going to go between your rib cage and pelvis. Like imagine two strips for people uh, listening who've never seen it. Imagine like six pack abs, but you're looking at, you're separating them into the right and left strip. Yeah. Um, there is a linea alba there. So there is already, they're already separated in the sense of they're not right up against each other. They're both connected to the same tissue. And then that linea alba can thin as that right and left half get pulled away from each other. So it can thin, it's still connected, but the distance between the right and left half are farther away from each other. But there is still a connection there sometimes, maybe, Um, And if that connection is still there, it's still going to work like, how do I want to say this? Imagine you had a very tight shirt on, like a compressive garment that you were putting on your body. Even though that linea alba is able to thin to accommodate mass in the front of your abdomen, the garment is still intact. The compressive garment is still intact. And I'm not sure if that makes sense to everyone listening, right? But you're still, it's still able to transmit forces. That's why I care about intactness. It's the idea of 
I want a ring of structure around my abdomen that goes from my spine and wraps all the way around the abdomen that applies sort of a compressive hold. Even as this thing inside of me is growing bigger, I still need that support. Now, what's not clear is if linea, if diastasis recti, because it's so general of a term, if it means the thinning or if it means a tearing, mm, right? Where, okay. where the muscles actually pulls away from the linea alba or the linea alba, half of the linea alba pulls away from the other half of the linea alba. Again, I wonder if an abdominal surgeon would have way more eyes on things like that to see exactly what's going on. I'm not sure if that's, if that's clear, but in the case of a tearing, now you've got this compressive garment shirt that you bought and there's a rip in the front of it which means that rip is going to be a place where it's not able to push or hold a ring around your entire midsection. And so when people talk about diastasis recti, um, I think we should probably talk more about symptoms from diastasis recti rather than simply right. the distance of the right and left rectus abdominis because it's just they're moving out of the way to accommodate this mass. And then it's, but there's still, you still have this corset, but the corset is around. And the, in diastasis recti, I talk about, I had a horse, you know, that you'd put a saddle on for anyone who's ridden horses. And then the horses will puff themselves up extra big to do this. And then as soon as you get on, they let all their air out. And so now you've got a too big of a corset. It's sloppy. You fall off the horse. The horse is happy. Yeah. Um, what we don't want it, for many people, when you come out of that separate, when you come out of pregnancy, your abdominal strength corset was going around you and something inside of you. And then immediately that's gone. So it's like too big. It's too big of a corset. It can't stabilize your spine. And so it then comes back together again to stabilize you as you are now versus you as you were. So it's like this very dynamic corset that has to grow with you and of course and it has to shrink with you as well and none of these changes are instantaneous right they don't yeah. happen in a second but we're a sedentary culture so 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 many of the ways that we tend to do pregnancy um is sedentary right so our corset was maybe even not that strong or coordinated to begin with then we go through the process of having something in there and then not having something in there or having a C-section, right? Which is then cutting it entirely in a brand new direction as well as it already being separated in a different direction. Um, so all of this is to say to your first question, I think it could be different things. And before I think people used to really be concerned about separation full stop, they would just measure the distance between the right and left half, you know, starting with just a week after pregnancy or, or 12 weeks after pregnancy. And they're like, look how many centimeters it is. I've got this gap because there is no sort of timeline of like, I mean, I guess there is maybe in, in a physical therapy, you could find, we wanted to see it close down over right. time where the sides right. come closer and closer. Um, but for people who are years out and that hasn't happened, then there could be something more like a tear. And then there's a lack of su support to the lumbar spine. And so now the way that you think about it is less the distance and more the symptoms that used to go with the distance. So, so if you have weakness uh, or pain, or like there's something slipping around in your back or there's your pelvis isn't 
functioning, is not able to transmit loads like you want it to do, then you're going to go in and look at that container and you're not so much, it's not like teaching to the test. You're not just simply trying to close the gap. You're trying to improve the strength. Yeah. The function. Yeah. Yeah. Because you could have a gap sort of forever and it could be no big deal as long as that coordination of the system kicks in when you go to move and you pick up things. And, and so many times I find that the symptoms that people associate with their diastasis recti are probably better associated to their overall lack of skill or of, st- of stabilizing, knowing how to use their body well, knowing how to you know bring their ribs down or contract their abdomen. And when you learn that, it's like, hey, look, all my symptoms went away. The, the gap isn't that different in, right. in uh, size, but my strength is so much more. So in the same way that if you have osteoporosis, you're not necessarily doing exercises to build bone as much as you're doing, which is hard um, and hard to track and not practical to track sure, for most sure. people is you're trying to do exercise to decrease the reason having osteoporosis puts you at risk. So you're going to work on improving your balance. You're going to work on becoming stronger um, in the way that you walk, you know, become fall proof and also learn how to fall better. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that yeah. way it doesn't matter what your osteoporosis is because the risk factor is for you falling and that you can deal with and that you can deal with in a measured, clear way that doesn't require tremendous clinical measurements, you know, but you can, you can see that you're better. You can live and embody that you're better. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, um, whether we're talking about pregnancy or we're talking about aging or whatever else, I love to think back to, and this really gets into your new book, Grow Wild and how we can create a culture of movement in the family around what we're eating, how we're collecting what we're eating, how we just spend our time. I, I think back to, um, you know, osteoporosis is a big thing. And I think flexibility is a big thing. You know, most of us are sitting in, in chairs at tables that don't really facilitate or, um, they really don't promote a really healthy posture alone. Right. So a lot of us end up getting really kind of curled over as we get older and, and then there's all these aches and pains that happen and then our balance comes, you know, it gets thrown off. And so I was thinking back to a conference I just held. It was a twins breach conference here in Louisville. And there's a woman, Gail Tolley. She has a company called Spinning Babies. She was sitting there in the very front and everybody was sitting in chairs. I was up there speaking. I was walking around the rooms, passing microphones. I was doing all of that. And I saw Gail sitting and Gail, I, I, you know, I, dare I guess somebody's age, but I would say Gail's kind of hovering around 60. And she was the only person sitting on the ground, like on her knees. And then she'd go kind of under her side and then she'd prop herself up on her elbow and then she'd sit cross-legged. She was on the ground moving and moving and moving and moving. And it was such a stark contrast from what, what I remember my mom and dad doing, which was mostly sitting in chairs. There's a big sofa, a nice long, deep, you know, squishy sofa. It was almost like... um a, a, like a young person sitting there, you know, Miss mm-hmm. Tolly versus my parents and, and even my grandparents kind of groaning and moaning around how it's hard to move. But this woman didn't have any issues with that. So she really would probably embrace your work, this culture of movement. So let's actually talk about that. Maybe we can just talk about, um, well, I, I have a whole bunch of notes here, but I've already gone off script. I want to talk about movement as counterculture. It's almost like for me, it was like, wow, how 
like progressive. She's sitting on the floor, you know, but like it, it's it's become such a uh, we have this tendency to just sit in chairs at tables and look all in the same direction and just do that thing day in and day out, whether you're driving or you're at work so much so that it actually is countercultural to move and to sit on your on, on your butt or to sit on your knees and to really just get your joints lubricated. I also want to point out your blog and your Instagram handle is Nutritious Movement. And um, you use this phrase in Grow Wild, and that is high nutrient movement. I would love for you to kind of spin on that a little bit based on what I just shared around this kind of countercultural observation of older people not sitting in chairs, but actually just sitting comfortably and lounging and moving in different ways. Well, I know Gail. I've known Gail for a long time, probably. Isn't she awesome? She is such an years. awesome person. She's great. And we've worked together at conferences before um, because, you know, one of the things I'll, I mean, I just keep thinking birth, obviously, because we're talking and then now we're talking about Gail. Um, the idea of like, like to what I'm trying to do through my work is really highlight the fact that all the things that we're talking about are really just moving. Like if you can boil it down, it's often just this concept of movement, seeing the opportunities for it, but we are a sedentary culture. So what you look out, I mean, who sits on the floor at a conference? <laughs> I mean, and sure there's different conferences, but for the most part, it's like chairs. And then at the same time, I spend a lot of time just listening to people when I'm in space, you know, restaurants, airports and you can just see there's like an emerging shape that we're starting to see sitting has been in a, in a shape for a long time but now the emerging shape is sitting folded over a phone i mean <laughs> and, it, and it was for a while like maybe five years ago it was like, like younger this. people doing it and now it's ubiquitous it doesn't yeah. it's it's like five to eighty mm. you see the same folded up posture i mean the phones are now getting closer to the faces it's not even like phone in the lap it's just like trying to stuff it in like a contact lens over your eyeball you know you're like just put that phone right on top of my eye so there's no distance i wear contacts so that's how it feels to me i'm like are they putting in a contact or are they looking at a phone i can't tell <laughs> um and so we have a cultural when i'm listening sorry I go back when i'm listening to people talking so much of the conversation is about their physical discomfort. Yeah. So much of our conversation is about why we don't feel good as we are sitting in these chairs folded over these phones. And there's this giant elephant in the room, which is like, yeah, obviously, obviously. And I'm a biomechanist. So I'm, I think in terms of shape and I think in terms of load and shape um, in Grow Wild, I tried to expand it a little bit more to break down the way we spend our time and it still is in shapes, but I was like, okay, so think of the shapes, think of these containers that you're in. Okay. Your first container is culture. You're inside a cultural container and that cultural container has rules about movement and, and it's got these habits that we do. Some of the rules are explicit. Some of them are implicit. Like I'm not sure if any conference says you must sit down in this chair, yeah, yeah. but there's a pressure. There's an environmental pressure when you walk into a room and everyone else is in a chair that if you sit on the floor, it's like 
so uncomfortable for the person on the floor, you know, because everyone's looking at you, people are going over, like, do you need something? You know, like everyone's sort of like thrown off by you, mm. you know, not following the, the cultural norm. So movement is definitely counterculture. Um, and then I go on to, you know, in Girl Wild, like the second container you spend most of your time in is your clothing, right? So that think about the clothing you wear to a conference or your job, right? It's like, can I get my arms overhead? Am I, is that, do I got something tied around my neck, tied yeah. around my waist where I couldn't even get down on the floor anyway, because these pants are not my exercise. I have pants that let me move for when I'm exercising. And the rest of the time, I, the, the clothing that you wear is non-movement clothing. Mm -hmm. We don't call it that. We call the movement clothing, movement clothing, but we don't call the other clothing sedentary clothing. And then, then you're in a, your home and then you're in your workspace and then you're in your um, learning spaces and then your other activities. And so once I broke it down into think about these containers in which you're spending your time, I then go, okay, well, you have certain needs throughout the day and chances are the way you're meeting your needs is one at a time. You're at the work conference, so that's a professional need, but you're not going to meet your movement need. You're going to meet your movement need in the morning before the conference right. or after the conference. Like we've sort of parsed. Compartmentalized it. Yeah. Everything's compartmentalized. Yeah. And then yeah. what happens is when you compartmentalize so many things, you have to do them in series, which means one after another. So you end up filling a lot of time meeting a single need at once, which is really what sets our culture apart from more traditional cultures where where fewer activities were being done but more people participated in the same activities and those activities were often outside doing some sort of physical labor usually around food or something that was very nourishing um, and then it was available for, for all ages right older and younger so like everyone was participating so when I give that example of the more, I say, stacked, more um, activities or an, an activity where more needs are being met during that period of time, that would be more nutrient dense. Mm. You're meeting mm -hmm. more nutrients in a single period of time. Because like in the end, all, all junk food is, is often too few nutrients for the calories that you're eating right it's, it's something that's not it's calorie dense but not nutrient dense and so you have to eat more things to be able to get your spectrum of nutrients but then you've eaten too many calories and then of course you can go on to things like fillers and that are non-nutritive that are non-calories that actually can do physical harm so that, yeah. that could be a further definition but i would say that that's also what's going on with us in terms of our activities the activities are not only not meeting our needs, um, they're high in time. Think of the minutes that you spend on social media or on YouTube or on Netflix. It's not really meeting a need, right? It's not meeting your bonding to you know, education. And certainly there's exceptions to everything, but the fillers are high. You're being yeah. filled. Your time is being filled with all of these non-essentials. And then you have to spend all of your time trying to process sensory wise everything that you just consumed with your brain and yet it didn't meet your dietary uh 
needs. It didn't meet your movement needs. It didn't meet your community needs. It didn't meet your nature needs. It didn't meet your shelter needs. It didn't meet your economic or money needs. It's just filler. And so there's been a slow shift to us consuming mostly junk food activities mm. and no one feels really good for it. And so it's yeah. very high filler, low nutrient bouts of time. And then, and then the lamenting, I don't know. I can't get anything I can't get. I can't, I'm just overwhelmed with all my needs. And it's like, we can't see that we're stuffed with filler. So yeah. that's what Grow Wild's about. Only it's more positive than that. And it's, it's centric on where do you find the movement in all the containers? So how do you get, how do you add or layer movement nutrients into every single thing that you do? Yeah. I think about, you know, a lot of people uh, feel that I'm not being very fair when I, when I encourage, you know, the importance of exercise, right? The data shows this or that the data shows, you know, that you should exercise or, you know, this is how you exercise. This is the best, whatever. Like, I don't get into that. I'm just like, you got to move. And a lot of people naturally relate that to, oh, I need to go and join an expensive gym and I can't afford that every month. And I'm like, listen, you've got little children. You have instant access to exercise at all times. And especially if you're a man, this is actually what has kind of played out in the psychology and sociology research that, that the role of a father, actually, there's an important connection, especially to our young girls, that me as a father, that I'm roughhousing with them. Like that wrestling with a little three-year-old is extremely hard work at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And she wants, she wants me to try doing the things that she wants to do. So just the other day, I'll, I'll give you an example, because this actually kind of came up in your book uh, when I finished it. You had you had posed the question: Are these tree climbing pants or or something like that? Yeah. Like, like, can you hang from a tree in this shirt? You know, like, if not, then let's change your wardrobe so that you can be fully active outside. And my daughter loves when I climb the trees in the neighborhood. So we'll we'll take a little walk, and I have to be careful because some of these trees are very young. But there's also these really big pine trees, and she's enthralled by the idea that I climb up there and I hang with one arm and and I you know I make monkey noises or whatever. And then when I came down, she said, "Dad, climb that fence." So um, I took my shoes off. And I climbed on this fence along the fence post and she was so excited about it that it was helping me with my balance. It actually required a little bit of strength to get up there and to get myself situated. And then she did it, you know, in, in turn. So I held her hand and she took her shoes off and she walked the balance beam for about 20, 30 feet. It was this really, really long fence line. And, um, and that in and of itself, the like lifting her, putting her down, you know, for her, she was getting exercise. For me, I was getting exercise and we're out in nature and we're grounding through the soil because we're not, you know, wearing shoes or the, all the little bones and muscles in our feet are working a little bit differently. Guys, that is exercise. We don't have to be going for a 45 minute hit workout at Orange Theory in order to say that we exercise for today. And you get all of those other benefits. So you'd, you'd mentioned stacking sort of mm -hmm. like. Like if you go out and you're going to collect a bunch of wild produce and then carry it back, you've got your workout in for the day. It doesn't have to be so compartmentalized. So I, I just loved, um, I just love the whole idea. And it's so commonsensical, but we really forget that everything you do in life can be a form of medicine, um, not to mention the benefits of sunlight and vitamin D and going out and foraging for mushrooms or, or wild um, onions or whatever else. Um, I mentioned footwear, you know, really quickly before we take a break, what do you tell people about footwear? Like, what do you guys in your family wear? Do you wear shoes at all? 
Yeah, sure. We live in the Pacific Northwest with full seasons. You know, um, we all wear minimal footwear. We spend, you know, lots of time being barefoot, but it's, you know, we just live in a modern world and also wear shoes, yeah. but we're always looking for shoes that interfere with the function of our foot and body as much as possible. So that means flat and flexible, wide through the toes. And, um, you know, some people have high arches. My husband and my one daughter have very high arches and they spend much more time barefoot because their shoes and feet, their feet don't really work that well in shoes. It takes the, sure. the rare shoe that matches, but you know, we've got snow and they go to school and shoes are, <laughs> are required in those places. But you can, you can definitely, um, in Grow Wild, I go through shoes, you know, pick up a shoe and twist it. And like, does it move under the force of your hands? Can you bend it and move it? Because that would mean that that shoe allows movement into the body. And if that shoe doesn't twist or bend, then that shoe is going to be the stopping point for movement, moving the foot bones and the ankle bones and, you know, moving up through the chain of the body. And, you, and it's sensory information, right? Imagine putting earmuffs on your child from the time that the, you know, they're exposed to their first sound and then leaving them on there for decades. They're, it's just not as clear of an image to what's going on. And you've got nerves that are coming through the feet that are responding to temperature and shape and touch and, you know, all those sensations. And we want to make sure that th those nerves are getting their input as well. I think of everything as input, you know, like where are you allowing movement in and where are you blocking it out? And movement is not exercise. Exercise is one narrow type of movement. It is exercise and the way we do it is much more like a vitamin or mineral supplement and movement used to be found in life and it's only when we kind of removed it did we go like oh we need to come up with a supplement system that yeah. you can buy and that's why it's expensive and that's why it looks it looks like regimented well because exercise by definition clinical definition is regimented it's something that right. you take for a specific purpose you take a particular dose it's got all of these parameters around it and what most people need is just to find the more, I guess metaphorically, it'd be like getting more of your nutrition from your food, just eating better. You can find those mechanical nutrients just by moving more in your own life. No supplementation, like no supplementation is required. You can certainly add it in, but it's not required. It's something that we're doing because we're not sure what movement foods to make. What does a movement diet even look like? We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. As a final comment, and we'll take a little bio break. Uh, around the time that I found your work, I was also reading um, Chris McDougall's Born to Run, which mm -hmm. became like a big bestseller. And while I actually don't recommend people run marathons barefoot because it's not you're not equipped to be running on pavement for 26.2 miles. There is something kind of counter countercultural around just going out into your neighborhood or on the local trail system without shoes and just walking without shoes and just seeing if you can feel like what's your balance like, where do you keep the pressure on your, your, your feet? And you actually learn quite a bit about your own biomechanics if you take your shoes off and try to like move a little quickly on a trail and you realize, oh my gosh, like I'm really heavy footed or my, my heels are hurting now but without mm -hmm. the, the cushion of a shoe. So I do think um, there's, there's quite a bit there, I think, for people to explore. I wear those, uh, 
what are they called? Um, earth runners with like the mm-hmm. little, they're like little strappy sandals based on the Tara Humara style. Um, are there any yeah. favorite brands? Oh yeah, yeah, you have them right there. Great. <laughs> they last almost forever, it seems. And then eventually I guess yeah. it'll break and I'll get a new pair, but um, it sure beats having my feet in like these kind of unbreathed, you know, poorly breathing, poorly ventilated tennis shoes with big, thick soles. Um, and uh, certainly when we're outside with our kids in our backyards, you know, especially if you're not allowing pesticides to be sprayed everywhere, it's really, really fun to just be in the grass and to get your, your feet grounded into the, into the earth. So um, we spend, I wear shoes maybe 10% of the time. And it's mm-hmm. partly because I'm a recluse that's here working at my house all day long. But we have our garden, we have our everything we need here. And I just never have shoes on. <laughs> What's up, guys? It's Nathan. Quick break from this amazing conversation. I wanted to tell you a little bit about the Born Free Method. We have been guiding, Sarah Rosser and I, one of the farm midwives, we've been guiding 70 people now through the Born Free Method, which includes 12 months of weekly calls with me and Sarah. She and I have been overwhelmed um, with the abundance of clients that want us to work with them through pregnancy, from pre- preconception all the way through childbirth into the postpartum period. And um, we decided to do this in a group coaching setting. So when you enroll with the Born Free Method, you're going to get 12 months of weekly calls with she and I. And we've already pre-recorded 100 plus lessons on everything from birth planning to care for the newborn, to intimacy, to sacred polarities, to every intervention under the sun, including stuff that other people don't want to touch, vitamin K, Rogam, GBS and antibiotics, history of prior C-section, breech birth, ultrasound, COVID, vaccines. We've covered everything under the sun. And you're going to be able to go into your birth, or if you're a birth worker, you're going to be able to counsel your clients better with all of the information. There's over 250 um, plus citations in this course. And you can go through as many times as you'd like. You get lifetime access and any updates come January 2024. We're going to have many, many more lessons that we add. You're going to get lifetime access to that. And as we get new information, we update the already pre-recorded lessons. So this is our magnum opus. And um, People are loving it. People are really, really digging it, whether you're a birth worker, experienced or otherwise, or this is your first pregnancy or 10th pregnancy, there is plenty here for you. We are gonna be enrolling for one more month in 2023. Um, You can go to bornfreemethod.com and um, book an enrollment call. We'll get you enrolled right then and there. We won't be enrolling again until January of 2024. So go to bornfreemethod.com jump in. We want to have you in our community. It includes a private community of other like-minded people who have all of the right questions. Maybe you can share your insights. Maybe you'll learn something from the community as well. We'd love to have you. Go to bornfreemethod.com and enroll. So, um, Katie, I don't know if you noticed, but I just replaced Ina May's, I'm not, not sorry, Carl Jung's Red Book with Grow Wild here above my right shoulder. (laughs) Wow, thank you. (laughs) We'll keep it there for a little while until I have somebody else who's a Jungian analyst come up and I'll, I'll, um, I'll pop Jung back up there. But for those who aren't listening, we are on YouTube. So go there, subscribe. If you want to support the show, you can see Katie in all her glory and, and watch us have this conversation. Um, Katie, tell me about your living room. I saw some really great photos in your book, um, which did not look like a typical living room. Tell me about where you guys spend family time. Yeah, we, we just got rid of 
all the seats and the chairs. And it's a process that I've been working on since I was actually pregnant because when I was pregnant, um, there was, you know, so, so much advice around making sure all of your birthing parts were mobile, <laughs> you know, yeah, it yeah. helps, you know, so it's like, you want to start now. It's like, okay, right. That makes sense. But I was like, then why I didn't really have time to do it being as, you know, like I imagine a lot of people say I'm too busy to fit this in, but yet I knew it needed to be done. So I was like, okay, well, these stretches I can, I can read in, I can work on my laptop in, I just have to get off my couch. I just have to travel the two feet from my couch to the floor to do them. They don't need to be done in a class. I, I can, you know, and so I just started getting out of my couch and then, um, and then I just was starting to question, like, why do we have all this furniture? And my husband who lived in Japan for a long time was like, yeah, this is a, this is an American thing. This is a North American thing. There's a lot of the world that doesn't have all of this. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And we just slowly over time started transitioning. And now, um, yeah, we just don't have furniture in the way you'd expect to see a house furnished. You know, there's certainly places that people who don't like to get down on the floor can, you know, there's always a corner for family time if you've got family who isn't as mobile or has disability. Um, but really, we spend our time on a variety of pillow shapes, uh, like low futons. Um, and I also keep mixing it. I mix it up a lot, just pull out some old things and bring in new things. Sometimes I'll put exercise balls in there and, you know, the, everyone's just sort of draping themselves over things and fidgeting while they're doing their homework or, you know, reading at night or watching a movie. It's just very, um, it's very dynamic in the physical sense. But what it also allowed us to do is function really well in smaller spaces as a family, because mm. all of that furniture, like that was the bite, like that was a thing that maybe minimal, minimalists, I'm a, I'm a natural minimalist, but, but it's not just for the sake of not having things. It was more like the fewer things I have, the more space we have. And so now it's totally fine to do cartwheels in our living room or bedroom because we sleep on um, uh, sheepskins. So even our bedding is just really roll upable and removable. So you've got, I mean, when we had young kids, like if, if you have young kids, you know, they want to like race around and jump and you're just like, don't hurt yourself oh, yeah. on that furniture and don't do that. And, and all these, again, that's those rules that we have in the home container that really squash movement as well. And it's like, okay, we need to create space and we can do that through, through what our version of furniture is that flexes. It's like the idea of flexible seating in schools. Like we just yeah. do it at home too. And, and um, it's worked really, it's worked really well. Like I've got a kid that really needs a lot of stimulation or movement. And so to be able to fidget on a ball, you know, and have that be, um, supported, you know, um, and make ball can be moved around to the room that they want to be in. It's just, it's been really great for us. Yeah. Yeah. My friends, Kyle and Tosh Kingsbury, Kyle's a former UFC fighter and he's this big giant muscly guy. And Tosh is a former collegiate runner and they're both, they both are trying to f foster a culture of movement inside and outside of the home. And they have a, a little micro farm that they manage and all these things, but they were the first that was the first household where I walked in and not only was there not a TV in their living space, 
there was actually cushions on the floor and their table is even really low to the ground. So they've got mm-hmm. these these bolsters that they sit on instead of chairs. And I have to say, every time I leave Austin, I always stay with them when I'm there. I get this really, um, I just feel like I'm moving well. I just feel better. I just feel good because it's like I haven't sat in a chair yeah. for two weeks. And, and that really does mean a lot, I think, for our kids. Um, they probably feel so unnatural sitting in chairs, yet they're in school in many situations if you go to public school or even many private schools and imagine how countercultural it would be if they were like no i'm gonna i'm an a student but i'm just gonna sit here on the floor or i'm gonna lay on the floor or i'm gonna lounge somehow on these cushions like are there any have you found any schools that are experimenting with that because i feel like it actually would be helpful to their learning if they weren't forced to sit in these five by five rows and um at a chair with this uncomfortable hard desk in front of them the whole time i haven't found a school um, I mean, I've consulted for some schools that want to be more thoughtful around movement. So there, there are a couple of schools that have wanted to preserve natural movement as one of their core principles. So in the terms of assisting with playground design, um, I do that not often, but I have done it multiple times of going, how would we design what sort of playground, you know, gives us this diversity of movement that we're looking for, and then how to maybe set up hallways or common spaces. Um, and then some, some flexible classrooms. What I have found more often is a single teacher who's interested in that, not a school necessarily outside of the schools that I've um, already talked about. There's usually like a teacher who's like, yes, I can see that the kids would benefit from this. And I know it's going to be work to do, but I will do the work to make that happen. And so it it really is when the usual, the teacher themselves prioritizes or values movement that they are willing to do the the work. I mean, it's, it's not as simple as just getting different furniture for your classroom. So many of the procedures for school are dependent on like the institution as a whole is just dependent on this sort of mechanical way of doing things, like even passing out papers. Like how do you pass out papers if everyone's not sitting in a grid? So you have to come up with a whole different way of doing it. And I do get a lot of um, emails from teachers asking, you know, so much that I've thought about putting together sort of a packet to help people transition or a place for them to share. Here's what I've done. Um, And what I always suggest is try to involve your students in the process. So I just worked through this with a teacher not that long ago and who wants to make these changes. And I said, what I would suggest is um, making it the school unit, making it the class unit. You know, many, many classes will have at the beginning of the year, a agreements, a set of agreements, right? So if you're in a school where like, these are the rules and we're handing them out, then that's a different way of interacting with people then what's our agreements that we're going in with and what do you suggest and let me hear you and let me tell you why I would need this particular agreement in place you know the way that if we all talk to each other things would be a lot smoother Mm. and then um, imagine that (laughs) yeah right and then building in um who wants to move their body more than this okay so how could here's what I have to get done as your teacher I have to do these things and you have to get these things, like this is also your work. Your physical development as a juvenile is your work for your adult self. It is the work that needs to be done. 
even more than the work it takes to like fit in or function in society or culture is our biological nuts and bolts that need to be into place. Like your job right now is actually setting bone because once you get to 17 or 18, there's no more bone being made for you. You can't be mm. like, well, I'm going to go do this right now and I'll do my bone when I'm 19. It's like that window has been closed. So that's sort of the job of the juvenile, right? Is like they're setting all of these, they're setting their adult self. So as we move more and more to this very rigid, less playful, less mobile, less creative, all the, all the things sort of less, maybe more productive in terms of like homework or those sorts of things, that will show up in, in later life because that is the job if you want to give it a job it's it's what that time is for right it's what's right. happening during that time and that's why that's why they want to move because alongside that job is all the impetus to do it and so we're just regularly squashing that that light and so if you let kids whether and this could be for your, if you're not a teacher and you're like oh, man i wish i could use this consider this for your home you can do the same thing what are your rules this is a quit every section or container of grow wild has a less like a list of questions movement biases like a, a movement bias check-in what are your current rules about movement how do you even if you're frustrated about kids moving or not moving or like oh they just want to play games or they want to be sitting down it's like well what are you doing if you ask them what sort of movements would they like to do are you willing to go do those with them or do you want it to look a particular way you know staying flexible these are all things that can um help you create an environment that is meeting not only more needs, but the needs of more, more people that are in, in that environment. Yeah, that's, that's lovely. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think I go to a lot of our friends' houses. Um, it's like kids want to move and what they do is they're like, no, you can't move right now. Let's watch this thing on TV. And while that can be helpful for you to get some things done, most kids don't really want to watch TV. Like you can get them hooked on cocoa melon or whatever. You can get them pretty addicted to that stuff for sure. But they don't really want, they're not compelled to do that. They actually want to be out and moving. So it's really, I think on us, the it's incumbent on us as parents to honor that. Their bodies want to move. Their metabolism is telling them move, move, move. And for us to squash that and squander that, you know, from the age of six or whenever they start kindergarten. And I don't, we're not definitely not going to be doing any sort of you know, traditional schooling, whatever that even means, conventional schooling, I guess, is probably a better word. Um, or do you think about that? You know, when they're in the classroom, it's we've made kids, we've forced kids, uh, we've imposed our sort of adult needs from a protocolized, you mentioned the passing out papers and whatnot, taking tests, etc. We've imposed that on kids and forced them to fit into that into that framework versus asking how can we actually accommodate what a child wants to do, which is to move, move, move. And, um, and I certainly don't see it any differently in, in the household. So I, I think that's really, um, I think that's really great advice. And I also this, think though, I just want to say too, though, yeah. I think there's a, there's like layers of jobs. So if it is the role of the parents to facilitate that, but it, I think so many parents are, turning towards sedentarism because of the larger cultural pressures yeah. to perform or produce, right? So as we struggle, as we struggle to make less doing more, which is sort of the trend of things, as, as, as we have to work harder to get less of the things that we were working for in the first place, 
it's one of those things where we need community to support. Like, so how do we, so if a parent's like listening, like, yes, I can do this, then also be thinking, and can you support someone else who can't? Like, so that's another container, the container yeah. of alloparentship um, to recognize that we're all, whether you have children or not, part of what's happening to kids right now. It's not the role of just the parents, because again, yeah, the role of parents, that's, an, that's another sort of modern facade, this idea that this is supposed to be like these two or four, or however many people are supposed to be taken care of by these one or two people only when no other animal functions like that, no ecosystem really functions. It's like, no, we all sort of need to succeed as a group. So here's how we share some of that work. So building community and schools can be community and you can have a neighborhood community or you can make your own like chosen community. The idea of doing that same version of checking in and saying like, oh, you have to work from this whole, you're a single parent or whatever it is, excuse me. You're a single parent and you can't do this. So like when we go on a hike, we'll take three other kids and our, our kids with us. Mm. and you know and to be like volunteer and to be looking at that because one it's actually easier that's my tip for all parents it is easier to take other people's kids with you if you want to do this group movement you know to get kids kids want other kids they really don't want just their parents after a very right. young time right. they're supposed to be always stepping up right, right? multi-age groups is the natural environment for children so always sort of building that. And then the slightly older kids are the ones leading the younger kids. The adults are there to supervise, but everything isn't parent led. Yeah. You know, like we yeah. gotta get it, get over the parent led <clears throat> and the adult led because children are really other children led. And then you're there is holding that bigger container for the kids to just flow on their natural vibe you That's know right. with other yeah. children so that i just want to throw that out there for any parent going I, I can't do it it's like you're gonna have to let other people in you're gonna have to seek out other people and that will help tremendously yeah yeah and I think that that's certainly easier for some people, depending on where you're living. You know, if mm -hmm. you're in a more rural place, sometimes it is really, really hard. We're kind of faced with that now. And of course, with COVID and everything, a lot of friends have distanced and, and all of this. But when you find your people, you just got the kids just have to be kids. And we can provide these sort of safe, like you said, there's a container and whatever they do in that container is like, that's that's the kid's job to figure out, right? Um, amazing, Katie. I know we're 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 wrapping up here uh, in the hour. I um, one area that we really didn't go into, but I'm going to direct people to your book, "Grow Wild: The Whole Child, Whole Family, Nature Rich Guide to Moving More," um, is nutrition, foraging. There is plenty of stacking that can be done mm -hmm. um, from the nutritional standpoint, and I mean like very much the dietary nutritional standpoint. Um, when we combine that with hiking and foraging and helping to prepare the food, you had mentioned making your own butter. Th those types of activities are just so um, kids want to do that. They want to help. They, they want to actually be busy in, in, in helping out mom and dad or, or whatever. So guys, go and check out Katie's book. She's also available on social media at Nutritious Movement. That's also the name of your blog, nutritionmovement.com. Is that right? Mm -hmm. um, anything else, Katie? Any, anything else you want people to know um, when they go out and start trying to implement some of these things? Um, I think if you could 
look at it less like I need to move more like it's a chore and start um, looking at movement as a conduit to more joy, a deeper, richer experiences right. that offer more connection and meet more of your needs. It's going to be a lot easier for you to figure out where it goes. Trying to go, you know, like I got to do this chore of exercise and I have no time because I have all these other obligations to start to reframe how you, how you look at movement again as a conduit to other things and that that was the thing you were looking for. Yes, the more movement, but the richer experience, you're going to start seeing opportunities for it everywhere. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, Katie, thank you for spending some time with me today. Enjoy your Pacific Northwest afternoon. And um, we're going to get people going to your website and buying your book. And thank you for making such a, a lovely, another addition to your, your uh, anthology that is the work, the life's work of Katie Bowman. That's right. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure.